Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Project Zion Podcast. This is Brittany Mangelson, and I'm going to be your host for today. And you probably are not surprised that I'm going to say this, but we are doing one of my favorite type of episodes to record today. We've got another fair trade episode, which is all about faith transitions. And I am here with my friend, Suzanne Scribner, who I've known for several years, and she's been on my list of people to get on the podcast to tell her story. And so I'm grateful that it is finally happening. So Suzanne, I'm so excited to have you on today. Uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself right now, where you're at and yeah, what you're doing. Yeah. Um, I live in El Dorado, Kansas, um, belong to a local community of Christ, which is a really small congregation and basically just do what I can to help them out. It's what I do these days. I don't know why you're looking for, Brittany, but I do want to say thanks for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity to share a few things about myself in case it helps anyone. Yeah, no, thank you. I am super excited about this. Uh, so we're just going to dive right on in at the very beginning, whatever that looks like for you. Uh what did faith look like when you were growing up? Were you involved with church? How important was God and spirituality in your formative years? Uh, just talk about growing up in church. Well, I actually come from what was called a part member family back in the days before they came up with this mixed faith term. And there wasn't a whole lot of going to church when I was real little. We learned Bible stories. Um, anything mom taught us was based around LDS principles, but basically religion was kind of a taboo subject per se in the house I grew up in. Um, a lot of my earliest memories around anything to do with faith is we had a neighbor who every summer had a vacation Bible school at her house. Um, she was a Mennonite and she would bring young women from her Mennonite congregation to stay with her for a week. And she'd have all the kids from pretty much the township come and we do vacation Bible school. And again, you know, Bible stories, um, sometimes Bible messages that weren't always exactly how mom would have liked us to learn them and learn some really cool songs. You know, this little light of mine, Bible school. At one, at one point, the primary got hold of mom and wanted to know about doing a Wednesday night primary at our house. And this is before correlation. And so two or three families would come to our house at 3.30, 4 o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon, and we had our own primary. Um, and when it got time for the primary presentation, we'd go to the town that the LDS church was in to be part of the presentation, and that did not always go over well 
with dad because you had to make one trip to that town to practice in the morning and then you had to go back in the evening to for the sacrament meeting and to do the actual presentation and dad thought that was just really ridiculous and just a whole lot of unnecessary driving um we also for a while they had a primary in different places here in town they were able to use the basement of the library there was a teenage hangout called the cage we got to do primary there religion was and i'd say still is probably one of the biggest division to my parents' family. So when mom decided it was time to start taking us to church all the time, we, it was often not a pretty sight. My parents would have some very vicious arguments on Sunday mornings before we would head out to church. Um, we lived approximately 50 minutes each way from the church building. And once we finally got us in the car and and staff, she would cry all the way to church from the argument that had gone on. And their arguments were pretty vicious at, at times. Um, did not go over well at all. And, you know, there were times as kids, you kind of felt like you had to take sides between her and dad. But I really enjoyed going to church once we got there. Um, I enjoyed learning, and I was really good at retaining everything that we learned. So, you know, the next year, and it kind of came up again, I was the kid sitting there. I knew all the answers. You know, I can answer all those questions. And it was really good. I can't say um, a whole lot was said in, in the house I grew up in about spirituality, but there was talk of God, and occasionally we tried to have um, a prayer at mealtime. Every so often, somebody, after it was one of us kids, would try to put together a family home meeting. We'd try to do so something along those lines, but <laughs> um, it, we never stuck with it at all. So... And I don't want anyone to get the wrong impression about my dad. I have a really good dad. He's just, I would define him as more spiritual than religious these days. And he, he's a lot softer now toward the LDS church than he was when I was growing up. My younger siblings uh, often just look at as older two or three enterprise when we talk about what it was like when we were kids because they never saw that in dad. But it's it's an interest, but it was a very different child, childhood, um, not one I would want to see. And I know one of my brothers has, who is no longer attends the LDS church, has said one reason he goes to the church that his wife chooses to go to is from listening to some of the stories we've told about growing up because he did not want that for his family and so on. So that was kind of my formative years. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing all of that and for sharing so vulnerably. I think that you said a couple of really interesting and important things. The idea that you were 
being raised LDS before correlation. So that would mean before the tight programming and before um, the tight script that LDS kids are brought up in and brought up with today. So the idea that you did primary at people's houses, you know, the children's classes or at different um, public buildings in your town, that's not typically something that you would see now in the LDS church. So there's, there was flexibility there that maybe doesn't exist today. Um, and then also that, uh, you know, you said part member family, and it was interesting when you said that, because it's been so long since I've heard that term. Um, cause yeah, now everyone talks about mixed faith marriages, but you're right. It used to be called part member family, uh, especially, you know, in an, in an LDS context. Uh, and just thank you for raising the complications that, that can come along with that. Um, and I think, you know, anytime that you're quote unquote up against a one true church, it's easy to feel defensive and to be concerned about what your kids are learning and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, I have sympathy and even empathy for your dad because religion's tough. <laughs> Well, supposedly the story goes, mom and dad had an agreement before they got married that they would go to his church one week and mom's church the next week. But shortly after they got married, she just would go to church with him. It was the easiest thing to do. And then they just quit going. Mm -hmm. It's never easy to, I think... um, you know, I've met over the years people, not necessarily LDS people, but people from various denominations who are married to people in other denominations or even non-Christian religions. And it's, you know, they've faced some very similar issues, you know, especially after the kids come. Even if everything looked really good, but once the kids come, Something just seems to happen. And I, I don't know. I just think that's something people really need to think about before they marry and stuff, because it can be a very hot topic, especially if your religion means a lot to you. And, you know, as older kids, well, none of my parents' kids were ever blessed as a baby. Mm-hmm. And as older kids were not we did not get baptized till we were older. Dad just, no, you guys are not being baptized into discussion. Yeah, that's interesting. And again, to, to try to find that compromise while allowing for some sense of spiritual autonomy. I mean, that's, that's a juggle. And so, yeah, my heart goes out to your parents for uh, engaging in that wrestle really. And then for you to try to be figuring out what your belief system is. So as you became a teenager and a young adult, um, how involved in the Mormon church were you? I was actually fairly active. Um, I I was allowed to get baptized when I was 15. So my baptism meant a lot to me because I'd wanted it for so many years. I mean, come on, I want to get back. Come on, get baptized. Um, and although I kind of went inactive around age 18 for a little while, and it wasn't that I no longer believed in the LDS church, I believed in it 
great deal. And I not like I didn't really never change my lifestyle, really. I just, I don't know, teenage, my idea of teenage rebellion, I guess. I just quit going to church for a while. But then, you know, I was kind of back again by late 20s, early 21s, because I, you know, then went on a mission. Where did you serve on your mission? Um, I went to the California Los Angeles mission. How was that experience? Well, it's about as close to a foreign mission as you can get from small town Kansas. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. (laughs) But I got to tell you, I don't think dad meant it this way, but it helped me out a lot. Um, he told me when I came to my senses, he would make sure I had a plane ticket to come home. <laughs> and I gotta tell you, there were times knowing that helped keep me going. <laughs> I was on my you know, you know, Suzanne, you can just call dad. Well, no, I don't want him to see. I think I'm not going, going to make it. But, but it was kind of comforting to know in the back of my mind that dad was just a phone call away if. For some reason, I needed to go. Said I needed to go home or something. You had an and escape plan. I did, <laughs> and I even got a letter a New Year's around New Year's time that Dad wrote on first, and he said, "I want to be the first in the family to wish you a New Year, Happy New Year." So, you know, it was like I said, it was nice. Dad's a very supporting person, even if he doesn't understand things and he gets really upset about stuff my dad today does not have the temper of my dad when I was younger I mean that's in more more than one way not that I want anyone to get the wrong impression about my dad my dad's not an abusive man or anything but when he was young younger he could explode get mad way easier than he does now but yeah I mean it's kind of you know, kind of weird to grow up with a dad or even as a young adult to hear people at church say, you know, your dad should be a Mormon bishop. What can we do to get him to join? And I'm like, why would you say that about someone? No one wants to be a Mormon bishop. You know, how do you think you keep somebody from ever joining the church? I mean, tell them you think they should be a bishop. But my paternal grandparents very much were against the Mormon church as well. Mm-hmm. So I always knew if there was any chance dad would join, it would be after my grandparents passed away. And after they passed, dad has never shown any interest in joining. So yeah. So that's just kind of how it is. And, but just because I feel like I bashed on my dad so badly, which is terrible. Um, <laughs> One of my really active LDS sisters has been doing a lot of genealogy and she approached dad, I don't know, a couple of years ago, two and a half years ago, and said she really wanted to do some temple work on relatives on his side and what were her thoughts about it. She wanted to do, she didn't want to do this if he would not be happy. And he said, as long as it's not your grandparents, I'm okay with it. Because I know how they would, how they felt about th- that church. So, yeah, that that's a really good way to be supportive. And you know, I I don't think 
I don't hear you being too harsh on your dad. And I think that your dad certainly is not alone with um, big feelings towards the LDS church. And I mean, this isn't, you know, a podcast to bash the LDS church, but I think that there are fair critiques, especially when it comes to your own family, because there are certain practices and um, milestones that non-member family members are left out of. And so, you know, he, he very well could have felt alienated and isolated by this thing that he just wasn't interested in. Yeah. But ironically, um, if my dad did come to church, which wasn't very often, but like he'd come for the primary presentation. Um, he And as we got older, he'd come more often, maybe for the Christmas or something, he might come. Um, he'd come to church. Um, Dad grew up in a family that saw church more as a place to go socialize. Mm. That was really important to his family. In fact, when he was a teenager, they left the real small church, Protestant church that they attended in the township to go to a larger church of a different denomination here in El Dorado because there were more kids, um, dad and his sister's age. And so dad could show up, you know, once every eight months at church and leave knowing more about what was going on or what the plans were for adding on to the building than mom would know from going there every week because dad would just socialize and talk to everyone. Um, it, it's, I know, it's, it's an interesting, interesting way, way my family is, but kind of love them. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing. I think that that uh, definitely is a unique Mormon story, but it's your Mormon story and I, I love it. So thank you. So Suzanne, it sounds like, you know, you joining the LDS church was a very intentional decision. It was something that you wanted. You said you wanted your baptism. Uh, Mm -hmm. So what did your deconstruction or I guess the downfall of Mormonism for you look like? And, you know, by Mormonism, I mean the LDS church. Um, What did, what did your faith crisis or transition, how did that start? Well, you know, it's kind of hard to put a finger on exactly when it started. I first became upset. First time I remember ever being angry and upset with the LDS church was on my mission. And I don't know how much of the story you want. Um, Make it simple. My MPC companion had some mental health issues. Let's put it that way. And it was very clear she was not appropriate to have out in the mission field knocking on doors and stuff. Mm. So they tried some different things with her. And she ended up going to some sort of psych care place in Salt Lake City for a while. Um, And when she came back, she was very changed and obviously not well at all and that we were out nine months and they decided to send her home and she was from what I at that time assumed to be a very poor community I've since actually met some other people from that community and confirmed yes it is a very poor community um 
she was basically they found a widow in the ward she came from and she was going to live with her. Um, her bishop and state president had sent her on a mission, hoping getting her away from there would do her a lot of good. And I don't really know what happened to her, you know, since then. And But I remember just being so mad. And I even told the mission president's wife, I said, we we know how bad she is. Going home is not going to help her any. The church has got gobs of money. Why can't they put her back at that site place or another site place and take care of her? The, you know, I was so mad. It was like they were just dumping the problem and sending it home. Um, so that always bothered me. A little bit. And then I got involved in women's studies at college. And the first class I actually took, I took on the religious side, didn't realize it was cross-listed with women's studies. It was called Women and Religion. And that opened up kind of a new world to me of people I never heard of before or names I was familiar with, you know, the Catholic fathers that, you know, I really could care less what they thought or taught, good Mormon here. But, you know, hearing the real misogynist statements that they made, you know, made, made me a lot more conscious of the patriarchy and what was going on. And in my little branch award, you know, we've been both over the years. Um, I always felt fairly free to say what I was thinking in classes and stuff. But I also became a lot more aware that I could, you know, really couldn't say a whole lot. You know, I could sit in class and say, well, I'm wishing for the day when women can get the priesthood or man, you know, I really think it was great that women back in Nauvoo were allowed to give blessings. Can't believe we followed the way of most organizations as we got more organizing going, we pushed the women down. And they did, my statements didn't always go over really good with some people. Um, but I usually had a calling to teach in the Relief Society, and I loved it. I love teaching in the Relief Society. I mean, they could call me today and say, hey, Suzanne, would you like to teach a lesson Sunday? And I would probably go, sure, that would be enough to do. Because I just, I just always enjoyed the discussions that we would have. Um, but it got to where I was only going to church for Relief Society. I was just not happy. So I went inactive again. Again, living the Mormon lifestyle, but I just didn't want to go to church. And it took me years going, going for a while, not going home, to give myself permission to admit to myself that I was bored. Mm. I was very bored at church and and later I started to get a lot I would find myself doing the old total anxiety put my head down thing I'd, I'd be anxious and stuff 
you know, and I was at church, um, which probably four years ago, maybe, they, it's at branch conference, and I'm looking up, and it's all these men. And the only women up there was the mission president's wife, the organist, and the teenage girl who led the music. And all these men, and I just like, this, this isn't right. This just isn't right. This is not what the gospel was meant to be. The gospel was meant for everyone and everyone to have a say and lead in and whatnot. Um, and then I guess shortly before that was when the November 15th policy came out. Mm. And when I first heard about it, I thought it was a joke. Because I was kind of like, oh, I didn't expect the LDS church to all of a sudden, you know, change the policy. And yes, welcome all of our queer brothers and sisters. But I didn't think they would ever do something that mean and hateful. And they did. And so I made sure I went to church on Sunday to hear what was, if there was going to be a letter read over the pulpit or what was going on. And the state president was there. And when he got up to talk, he do his read from Third Nephi, and I'm not sure what I should have looked it up. Um, where it talks about God can't look upon sin with the least allowance. He went through that chapter, and I I wanted to get up and mock out of there so bad. But I was like, I'm going to sit through this. I'm going to sit through this, even though I'm steaming hot. I'm going to sit through this, and and then another time I went to church and the high council was there speaking and he used to be a member of the world and he and I never really saw eye to eye on much, but he was up there and, you know, the joke she was trying to crack was, yep, we keep trying to tell our daughter that CTR stands for conservative talk radio, <laughs> you know, and I looked up sent by my sister and I know she didn't appreciate this nor the few heads that heard me and turned around I was kind of like I came to church for this mm. oh, no just didn't like it and then I had listened to some of Mormon stories um, but I'd listened to John Hamer and Steve V.C. So I went back and was re-listening to those, and I was just like, maybe there's a place I can go where I can feel wanted and needed and, and stuff. Because um, some of the things I would hear people say they never learned growing up, I had learned. Oh, I learned a little bit of I knew Joseph Smith was a polygamist. I knew about the peepstone. <laughs> You know, someone. so I was always surprised when people didn't know this stuff because 
I, I do those. Um, so I decided to try out Community of Christ. So, and there's been a local RLDS church in this town forever. So I looked them up and saw what time they were supposed to start. So I drive myself to church, happy as can be on Sunday morning. And I get them. There's no cars around. And I go up and the door's locked. There's nobody there. And I wait a little bit. No one shows up. There's just nobody there. And I'm like, huh? What's going on? So I just went home. So the next week, I thought, okay, I'm going to be a little smarter about this. So I called the phone number. And a man answered it. And I said I was calling about community Christ to find out if you were meeting this, this Saturday, this Sunday, and to confirm the time. And he's like, someone about the church. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he gets back on and he tells me that they are meeting at a certain place at the lake for services. And I knew where that place was. And he told me what time church started. And I said, okay. So next Sunday, I drive out to the lake and get out. And there's a woman, there's not very many people there. And there's a woman standing there. And I'm like, hi, is this community of Christ? And she said, yes. And I said, okay, good. I found it. And she go, comes up to me and she says, are you? And I don't remember the name she said. And I said, no. She said, well, then you must be. And named another person I said no and she's kind of and finally she goes so just who are you and I said well I just thought I'd come visit to see your service and oh my gosh it was you know this just doesn't happen apparently in this little congregation and and it turned out there were a baby and then like a five-year-old girl was getting a blessing that day. So they had thought some friends of the mother would, would be there. Um, so, you know, she's taking me down and she's telling me, oh, but you picked a good week to come because we're doing a couple of baby blessings. And I'm like, okay, that's nice. And she's looking at me like, you don't have a question about that? <laughs> and, you know, she gets me down and she's like, hey, everyone, this is Suzanne. She came to visit. And I'm like, hi, you know, I don't know what else to say. So I need to get down and sit down. And the person, they kind of had seats in two, in, you know, with an out and two. And the person right to the left of me, the other aisle sitting there, had a big old pistol in a holster. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm sitting there going, what kind of people have I come to associate with? Oh. And then to make it even better, the 70, they have a 70 speaking, and I'm still thinking 70 my, as an LDS speaker, so I'm going, I scored, you know, going to get to hear the 70, and when she mentioned something about children, Book of Mormon, she kind of looks at me, and I'm just sitting there, you know, <laughs> get, get through services, and the blessings, and after, do you have any questions, and I said, yeah, I have one question, I said, um, I noticed that when and, oh, and the elders doing the blessing were women. It was great. The 70 was the woman, you know, it was just, it was great. And I said, I noticed you did the hands side by one on this side, one on the other, instead of stacking them. I said, is there any particular reason why you did it that way? Um, 
no, that's just how we do it, you know, we do it that way. And I said, okay, I just wondered because I'd seen a baby blessing in the LDS church, you know, I wasn't, I figured they'd figure out sooner or later it was LDS, but I said, I've seen a baby blessing in the LDS church and they stacked hands. So, and I know the two churches, so it's kind of related. And so that was it. And I left and I called during the week again, got the same man on the phone. And I was just like, hey, this is Suzanne. I'm just calling to see if they're having church on Sunday. And well, it is. Oh, it's going to be at the building at 11 o'clock. So when I showed up, it was just like, oh, she's back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless their hearts. But I mean, what kind of ironic is at that time there were three or four small congregations in the mission center. There's now just one, now I'll be really the only small congregation there. So nobody was expected the wayward Mormon to show up in the, in this particular congregation. But I kind of sh- showed up and before I knew it, I was teaching an intergenerational Sunday school with an emphasis on the kids. And I did that for a year, and I said, I've got to give the LDS church one more try. Mm. I owe it to myself. I, I've just got to do that. And, and about four months later, about two of those were spent not going to church <laughs> because I just, I was so, I was just so unhappy in the LDS church. I, I was back permanently with community of Christ. Well, Suzanne, that story, I probably should have had myself muted while you were talking because I laughed out loud a couple of times because it was just such, such a classic story. Well, it's, it's like, if, if you weren't there, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> Somebody's yeah. calling about the church. Oh, she's back. <laughs> I like to remind them when I showed up, if no one just kept asking me all these names, who I was, you know, finally, so just, why are you here? <laughs> who are you? <laughs> Wanted to attend a service. Oh, my goodness. And then the fact that, like, because so I I did I got that they did not realize that you were former LDS or that you were LDS at the time. So when they mentioned the Book of Mormon, they were like, "What is she gonna do?" <laughs> yeah. Oh my Which, goodness. Probably after I asked my question, they may have had some suspicion, but I didn't flat out tell them. The second week, I was after church. I was visiting with the woman who kind of took me. Once she figured out I was a guest under her wing, I mentioned to her I was LDS, but they, but yeah. boy, I think it got around really fast. They had a Mormon showing up because whenever they had a guest speaker, they always had something LDS focused or I understand the LDS, you know, <laughs> think it this way. Oh, I found this as an LDS explanation for this. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they were doing everything they could to make me feel comfortable, which is incredibly sweet of them. And they didn't go to all those expenses. But I'm really grateful that they they did all that because they're just terrific people. I really like my small congregation. Oh, okay. So this is this is my favorite story. I absolutely love it. But it's important, too, because. 
I know for me, uh, finding community of Christ in Salt Lake, going from a big giant ward to a tiny congregation of, I don't know, maybe there was 10 to 15 people at the time. It was kind of alarming and you have to really, I mean, I had to really step back and say, okay, like I'm going through a faith crisis, no matter what, but is it worth leaving this big community for a small community? And the congregation in Salt Lake was ready for me, right? They were actively doing everything they could to be there for what we call Latter-day Seekers. And so, and I had a ton of Latter-day Seekers that were right there to support me. And I recognize that that is like, I'm basically in the only place in the church where that amount of support is for former transitioning ex-Mormons. And so for you to be out in Kansas all alone and having the bravery to show up to a congregation the first time and have it be closed. And then it took another level of bravery to call a phone number and then to show up at a lake and then to go back. I mean, that, that shows the amount of interest that you had and, you know, you were willing to go over all of these hurdles, if you will, to just find out more about this church. And so I think that your story is super, super important for both Community of Christ people and Latter-day Seekers to hear, or just spiritual seekers in general to hear, um, because the, the size of the congregation or the, I don't know, even... I mean, Mormons are used to that correlation, right? And so to have church in a lake is not something that you would typically see. And so to be surprised by the amount of flexibility that you can just change the location of church one week, um, just to, to be open to all of that, I think is really important for people to hear because it does make me sad to think that there are people who give up on exploring community of Christ because it looks so different. And, or it makes me sad to think that there are community of Christ congregations that just assume that no seekers are going to want them because of X, Y, and Z. So I think that there's important lessons about hospitality and invitation in your story. Um, and just the level of bravery that it takes to walk through a door or to go down to a lake for a church service. <laughs> well, I keep telling people the spirit led me to community of Christ. Mm. That's it. You know, that's all I can say, you know, you know, just, Hey, get, keep going to, you know, I guess you got thrown down the number. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? It's disconnected. I mean, come on. Um, but I do know once I figured out they actually wanted my opinion, one of the first things I said was, you know, when you're going to meet at the lake or something, you should really put a note on the door. Yeah. <laughs> you know, even if that means somebody gets there and feels like it's too late to drive to the lake, you know, at least you have a note explaining why nobody's at the building. Uh, and I also think it's real important that you keep, if you have a website, that you keep it up to date with the times and of what event activities are going on. Because at that time, they had on it that there was a Sunday school that started at 9.30 and there wasn't a Sunday school that started at 9.30. And, you know, and when I did start teaching a Sunday school, um, it started at 10 o'clock. 
So, mm -hmm. you know, and not everybody is show up at church 40 minutes early to visit before church starts. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I said, lessons in hospitality. Those are, those are really good ones. Well, and, and my congregation is most of the members are related, which is kind of unique. And then the other people have grown up in the congregation. So they're like family, like part of that family. So it's kind of like you've got this big old family and then me, <laughs> mm. which is kind of been a little different to adjust to adjust to, but it's it's been great. And I know things have happened that I think it's ended up being a blessing in an odd way that I was there. Um, this was before before I was baptized, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was before I was baptized. Um, I, was some, I was in charge of the, of the service. That's one thing about small congregation. They have everyone helping out. And our 70 mission president was coming to speak. And that Wednesday, I came home to a voicemail that three of our members had been killed in a car crash. And, you know, first thing was, oh my gosh, you know, this is going to completely change what we do on Sunday. And the next thought was, I am so glad none of that family is going to have to worry about Sunday. You know, Donna and I are going to take care of will be able to take care of everything. The only thing they're going to have to do is start the music with the, if we, we use pre-recorded accompaniment music, is they'll have to, the man who runs that machine is going to have to run it, but everything else we can take care of. Um, and that was a very somber time and not something I relished doing, but it also, I think, helped me see that there's a reason I'm in that congregation, one of many reasons. Um, and the first time, because when they first asked me if I would take charge of a service, I was like, no, that's a priesthood function. No, 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 don't, that's not for me. But they, the first person accepted my no, the second person wouldn't. And standing there, something that would not ever be there in the LDS church. And as I stood there, feeling the righteousness of standing there, knowing the Lord wanted me to be standing at that pulpit, leading a servant, I could just feel the Lord want, let me know this is where you're supposed to be. Um, just gave me chills, it still gives me chills. Um, I never had any idea how wonderful it would feel to do that. Wow, thank you so much for sharing. I think that it's so interesting the way that your path with church and ministry and 
seeing a need for more women in ministry put you in the place of being able to say yes. And then when you were needed, Mm -hmm. um, you were able to step up and support your congregation and support that family when they needed it. And I think, you know, what a, what a beautiful way for you to find a place that can accept who you are and what you have to bring to the table. And then you in turn are able to help support them. It just, that's just, that's, that's what this is all about, right? Is just supporting one another in the ways that we're able to and easing each other's burden um, and mourning with those who mourn. And, and that is a really um, sad, but beautiful, beautiful example of that. So it was a learning. Yeah. It's not the happiest experience I've ever had, but it was a spiritual experience. Definitely. Absolutely. So Suzanne, can you tell me a little bit more about what your conversion to community of Christ was like? So you said that you, you know, bounced back to the LDS church just to make sure, and you came back. So from that point of you coming back, how long was it until you joined? Did you have any hangups with joining the church? Did you, you know, do your family and friends react in any particular way or just continue the story? Honestly, my biggest holdup was temple garments. Um, I've never been a fan of the temple endowment. Um, hadn't had a recommendation in years, <laughs> I mean, in years. But I never had a problem wearing temple garments. Um, and it took a, a, quite a while for me to be ready to where I could leave them off. You know, I like tried to go for a day without them. <laughs> and then I was just like, oh, I can't wait to put them back on. Oh, you know, and then I go a few days and try to do another day without them and, and stuff. So it wasn't till I felt, got to where I could go without tampering garments that I knew it was time to take the next step. And I went to see the LDS um, branch president, because it's currently a branch here in town. And I, and poor man, I mean, he, he'd just been put in like three weeks ago as <laughs> the branch president, you know, and I mean, there, and, I'm, and I am kind of crying, and I'm crying because, I mean, the LDS church still means a lot to me. I, I you know, I very much honor my, my mom's mother's side, goes back to Pioneer Stock. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And I just said, just told him, I said, is there any way I can leave the church with some dignity? And he just kind of looked at me and he's like, well, what do you mean? I said, I'd like to be able to leave the church without it being a big to-do and have it become the big branch gossip. I, I would just like to be able just to resign and have a little dignity. 
And he said, well, I'm not going to be the one telling everyone, you know, mm-hmm. but, you know, and he said this, that, he said, um, let me do some checking to see what needs to be done. And then he, did he call me? I think he called me a few days later and, and said, you need to write me a letter saying you want to be in membership with Don. And he said, do you have a, you know, do you have something you can write on? He gave me his address and and he said, when I get it, there's a form I need to fill out and send to the state president. And then you should get a letter. And so a couple days later, I typed out a letter and signed it and hesitated a moment. Then I put it in the envelope and sent it to him. And about four weeks later, I got my official letter in the mail. So when I went to church on Sunday and they said, what's it? You know, anyone's got any highs and lows to share? I just very quietly said, I'm now available to get baptized mm-hmm. and the room will be much erupted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because I did not feel right joining Community of Christ without resigning my membership before mm-hmm. my membership was resi- resigned. And, you know, while I was I felt somewhat critical of the LDS church by that point. Um, since I've resigned and completely left, I have become more critical because I think the further distance I get from it, the more I see things. Earlier, I should have mentioned like Sam Young and protect the children. I mean, I'm the one who was showing up at church with one of his buttons on. Mm-hmm. You know, that was just me you know and I got some strange looks especially when I tried to explain it to people what it was and so but I just yeah I just so anyhow so I got baptized I don't know a couple of months later and then eight months from the day I got baptized I was ordained an elder Mm. what was that experience like being ordained. Yeah. Very humbling. Mm. Um, and at the time, I did not realize that most people are a member for a year before they get a priesthood call. So, you know, so mine came very fast, and I had taken a couple of temporal. Was it before I got baptized? I took, I think I'd taken the one for working with children before I got baptized. Um, but I had to get through all those Tampa school classes. And I, you know, later, once I realized when people normally get a priesthood call, I was just shocked that I got one so so fast, especially to the Melchizedek priesthood. But anyhow, in fact, the day I was ordained is the day you and I became friends on Facebook. You said, I remember that. Yeah. I remember. And that's when I got involved with LDSC because I hadn't been involved before that. Um, it, it's, I, don't know, I think COVID has made it a little bit different because mm-hmm. I have but it's 
been a humbling and good experience at the same time. Um, because basically I got to help with the sacrament a couple of times and then we went into COVID <laughs> that kind of slowed things down a little bit. But I, but just a while back, I got to help with a couple of blessings and I get the pastor consults with me a lot on on staff because there's just there's only three elders in our congregation. Um, I don't know. I know I'm asked to lead church and give talks and stuff more often than I was before. But I, to be I suspect now that we're back up and going, and we've been back up and going for what five weeks now or something. So I anticipate I will see a different side of being an elder, which I have not had the chance to really see yet. Ah, thank you, Suzanne. I have really appreciated all of all of your thoughts. And I can also relate. I got my call to the office of priest, so not Melchizedek priesthood, but Aaronic priesthood. Um, before that year mark for me as well. Um, it was within the first year and it was, it was a jarring experience because in a lot of ways, I still felt very, very, very broken and very, uh, much the new kid on the block. <laughs> and, uh, I, I wasn't quite sure if I was ready to then turn around and be a minister to other people. Cause I still felt like I needed so much support myself. And so, but that's the thing with community of Christ is you can just dive on in and they don't expect perfection before you turn around and help other people. And there is this sense of us all being in it together. And I hope, and it sounds like that you were able to have um, good mentors in your congregation with the other two elders, at least that, you know, have been able to um, support you and, and help you grow in your ministry. So Oh, you were asking how my family reacted. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Either no one said anything, or they would say something like, you know, but I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised. Mm. I knew I'd been going there. But as a family, even though all of us kids did get baptized LDS at some point or another, um, we'll all kind of all over the place now. Um, you know, we've we've got a Quaker, we've got Methodist, one sister who now says she's an atheist. Um, she's getting it harder than I ever got it when I left the church. Um, and the first couple of LDS friends that I told that I left the church Funny, they both immediately said the same thing. Do you still believe in Joseph Smith? And do you still believe in the Book of Mormon? I'm like, I'm like yes. Those are not the reasons I left the church. Um, don't I? You know, I know my stories are a little different from some people's, but that's kind of how it is. And also, another great thing I've had is during COVID, 
um, I got to give them a shout out. The Shenandoah Congregation in San Antonio, Texas. I discovered them a few months into the pandemic. So I, I have spent a lot of time on Zoom listening to their congregations and going to Sunday school there. And they've just been a terrific group of people, especially in Sunday school, to get to know and attend the theology class. And we have some really good discussions. Good. And, and Suzanne, you know, I just want to say that one of the greatest things for me about doing these fair trade episodes is to hear different perspectives and experiences, right? Um, I didn't necessarily comment on the struggle that it was to remove your garments, but I mean, that is, that is a very real and valid struggle. And, you know, coming from a part member family is also a very real narrative. And even though, you know, there might be differences between your story and my story, there are people who will absolutely relate to your story and will absolutely Absolutely. relate to, to the struggles that, you know, you had to wrestle with. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it's, you know, and I was so pleased when I found out Community of Christ just doesn't seek baptism for people when it would be a issue in the family. Mm. It's just, you know, that's not how we do things. And I, and I find great comfort in that versus that emphasis on getting baptized in the LDS church. Got to get baptized, got to get baptized. Um, and um, I, I was just really, that's one of the things that I was just so grateful to learn in Community of Christ. And also, I have to mention the handbook, Community mm. of Christ Sings. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I just cannot get over. I mean, that it, handbook is scripture. It, it's just so inspired, and I love Oh, you know, you can always find a hymn that touches your soul and tells you what you need to know, you know, the message you need to hear. And I just have to give a shout out about Community of Christ Sings. Absolutely. And I know that when I first came to Community of Christ, and I know I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I did not know how to interact with scripture. And so I didn't, I didn't even really have an interest in the contemporary doctrine and covenants scriptures because just the word scripture was too much for me. And so I read Community of Christ Sings cover to cover as if someone would read scripture because I just wanted to get to know who the church was today. And I figured their hymns would be a good way to do it. And honestly, that was a huge factor in my falling in love with community of Christ. So I think it's great. (laughs) I was so happy. My congregation gave me a doctrine and covenants when Mm I early on, because like the first thing I did was I wanted to read the section about marriage that had been taken out. I mean, of the LDS one because mm-hmm. I thought about that so I wanted to read that for myself and then I wanted to read then I looked for and found the one the women got the priesthood and I was kind of disappointed I was expecting to speak for revelation about it and said it that's one little verse yeah <laughs> like, yeah oh. 
But then I read all the sections that aren't in the LDS, Doctrine and Covenants. And yeah, I got this down here to all my notes. Don't be afraid to skip the parts, people, if you're reading it for the first time, or they're calling people to be apostles in 70s yeah. or releasing. You can skip those parts. But I, but I thoroughly enjoyed reading my way through it. And I felt the spirit and how inspired so many of those messages are in our doctrine and covenants. Yeah, it really, it really is different. And it really is uh, to see that continuing revelation in action and to see it on the pages. I mean, that's, that's something. And I, I kind of wish I have seen these, you know, videos, TikToks about books that you wish that you could read for the first time. And again, and I kind of wish that I could read some of the Doctrine and Covenant sections for the first time or the hymnal for the first time again, just to have that experience, because it was so exciting for me to just see a, a path forward that I felt was grounded in peace and justice and equality and just love. So, yeah, but I really do miss. Yeah, but I do miss a couple of sections, at least from the LDS Doctrine and Covenants, that aren't in in there. In there, but you know, I. And I've actually quoted from a couple of them when I've given talks. I'm just kind of like, well, this is an epistle that Joseph Smith wrote. When, just because, you know, I'm like, I, I know this section. No. <laughs> no, you know, the Kirtland Tamper dedication prayers in the LDS mm. one. And, you know, it's kind of like, well, if you look, I don't, I've never done this yet, but someone was talking about Kirtland Tamper one day. So I, kind of like yeah we're in the prayer we know are you looking at LDS scriptures yep I am it's still the same prayer it's just the Kirtland Temple dedication (laughs) well and and, you know my LDS scriptures are marked up and sometimes I can find something in them way faster than I can Mm -hmm. in community of Christ so a community of Christ, that's just kind of how it goes. Yeah. But, okay. So would you uh, let me just, just comment on what I would tell seekers who are looking into community of Christ? Yeah, absolutely. What would you tell seekers? Um, okay. Yeah, I want to hear all about it. <laughs> First of all, take your time. There's mm-hmm. nothing, no need to rush. Um, take your time. Get to know community of Christ. Get to know us. Um, There are some really good Community of Christ resources and books, but you might have to do some digging to find them. And don't be afraid, especially if you're in a larger congregation of asking members for help, they can refer you to them or they may actually already have copies in your congregation library that you can borrow to read. Um, Ask questions, ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. There's no wrong questions and who knows, you might get a couple of different answers. So that lets you know that this is something that there's not a direct policy on or a 
from Billy Fawn, but an area of theology that we struggle with within community of Christ. So please ask, 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 ask. And then I've already mentioned about reading the Doctrine and Covenant sections unique to community of Christ. So that's what I would suggest people do. And, you know, and of course, prayer, you know, find Feel free to like participate and forward with community. That's a nice group. We're fairly supportive of each other. You get different people in there all the time. And there's a lot of people such as myself who, you know, I may not be able to relate to your story of how you came to community of Christ, but someone out there can relate to my story. Or I definitely can have a lot of empathy for what you went through to end up in community of Christ. So please reach out. We're all there for you. We want to be there to be a support system. Absolutely. And I must say that this group of Latter-day Seekers, former Mormons who have found their way into community of Christ are really a really supportive bunch of folks. So and we speak our own language. That's yeah. what's even better. <laughs> it's it's a mix between LDS and community of Christ and it's wonderful because we understand each other. <laughs> we do. <laughs> You can sit in the community cry sometimes and talk about something and everyone's kind of looking at you like, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah, we kind of remember in the back of our minds. Yeah, yeah, that's something in the old part of the Doctrine and Covenants. And we're just kind of sitting here going, oh, yeah, it's, it's everyday language. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and we definitely serve as cultural interpreters for one another. I know that, you know, I've I've had to like check with other Latter-day Seekers and be like, okay, I think I'm triggered about this, or I think I may be misunderstanding. They're using this term differently, or they're using this concept differently, or you know, we have to like remind each other, it's okay, friends. We are in a different church. <laughs> and there's just that and all from Utah. Some of yeah. us have never lived in Utah. It's so, true. So yeah. I know that gives us a different perspective and story in many ways. I've never been to EFI. <laughs> yeah. The longest I've ever been in Utah is the MTC. So trust me, I understand. I don't even think I mentioned it. I mean, my family was the only LDS family in school. Mm. So it. So trust me, I, I, I understand a lot of things that some of you may might relate with that someone who's from Utah or Idaho or the Mormon Belt someplace might find hard to believe. Yeah, absolutely. And the diversity in our stories and experiences, I think are so important because absolutely. Yeah, because so many of us do come from a different background and those backgrounds inform how we live our life today. And so telling the stories of folks from all over the place, you know, even outside of the United States, I think is really important um, because there are those 
similar threads, and yet there are unique parts about our stories that other folks can relate to. And so hearing your story and the story of others, I know for me, has been really important. So Suzanne, really, thank you for sharing for sharing so much of your story. And I always like to leave these with just, is there anything else that you would like to say that I didn't ask? Any final thoughts that you want to leave us with? Well, Brittany, thank you for the work that you do. Um, I think I've pretty much covered everything except to say one of the, besides getting there, was noticing that the Community of Christ um, service was way more Protestant-like than I would have expected. So just somebody hasn't been to one yet, just a heads up. If, if you've ever been to a Protestant service, it, it will probably remind you of, of one of one. Yeah. The flow and the candles and some of the readings and yeah, it definitely is not an LDS sacrament service <laughs> for sure. Although I've had two people tell me it reminds them of the RLDS church from the fifties. LDS. Mm. So yeah, yeah, that an LDS service. I've actually heard people say that too, that have visited LDS services. They think it's a, you know, it feels like a blast from the past going Mm -hmm. into the church of their childhood. So yeah, community of Christ has definitely evolved and changed over the decades. So anyhow, thank you for interviewing me. Um, Probably see you in forward with community. I know. Yes, we will see you on the internet. And uh, hopefully listeners, if you're listening, Suzanne is on Facebook and in the Latter-day Seeker spaces. So if you'd like to connect and talk to her more, you can find her there. So thanks so much, Suzanne. Thanks, Brittany. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use, and while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines. 